Well, good morning and welcome to Parafield Gardens from me. My name's Simon. Um, I'm just an ordinary member of the congregation. I'm not one of the pastors here, but it's my privilege this morning to continue our series about being, about being clean. But I would like to start by saying thank you to Karen. I would say that, wouldn't I? But it's uh, thank you to Karen and the worship band for leading us in worship and Ross for your very thoughtful prayers. I feel as though really having had all that, we really could just stop and go from here. But even though I'm not a preacher, the spirit of the preacher must be somewhere within because I'm going to talk anyway. (laughs) You knew that was coming. You knew it. I must say that thinking about being clean has really made me reflect about the issue of clean, cleanliness and dirtiness. I mean, hey, I'm a doctor. It's my daily thing, really, to think about what's clean and what's dirty. Of course, it doesn't just stay at work. It also comes at home. And um, perhaps we could do that next photograph. Thank you. I'd like to show you a member of my household in his earlier years. And there he is, yes. Okay. Yep. So, you know, most families have at least one of these. Some have more than one. Uh, We had one who was very particular and almost a little bit kind of um, prissy and really didn't like getting at all dirty or touching dirty things. But we also had one who a little bit like Pigpen from the famous Charlie Brown cartoons, just, you know, mud had a magnetic attraction for him. And so as I think about cleanliness, I also think about dirt. And when I think about dirt, I'm afraid that photograph, which is getting quite long in the tooth now, but still is easily found, just couldn't get past that. So I wanted to introduce you to Stuart the Mud Man, because that's who he is. So we're going to be looking today um, in the third chapter of John, Uh, Before we do that, I just want to set a little bit of context for you. Um, And of course, it's a good idea always to have a think about the setting that the passage we read sits within, because we don't look at things in isolation. They're actually part of a story, a narrative, if you will, that the writer, in this case John, has put together. So if we were to look into chapter 2, and we'll read the very end of chapter 2 in just a moment, Jesus has gone in and cleansed the temple. You might remember this story, and we we often see pictures of, uh, you know, Jesus sort of driving out the animals and turning over the tables of the money changers. Well, the story there was that the outer court of the temple was meant to be a place where the Gentiles, all of the nations, people who weren't Jews, could come and worship God. And what had happened was that various influential people had set up stalls. They were selling sacrificial animals they would only take the money uh, in uh, you know, a particular kind of temple coin, which of course came at a suitable exchange rate. Those of you who've been overseas know how that works when you change your money. So the whole thing, in every sense, was a racket. In a place where there should have been worship, an opportunity to actually know God, what did we find? Noise, animals making a terrible sound. I mean, the animals can't have been all that happy. I reckon some of them at least would have had an inkling as to what was coming for them. Uh, animals make a mess, birds in cages, people changing money, just a general, a general rush. And so Jesus goes in there and he clears them all out. Now we like to sanitise this a bit, but if you read the version in John, the literal translation is that he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out with the animals. So it actually looks as though gentle Jesus, meek and mild, took a whip to the people who were making all that noise and ripping other people off and gave them the boot. So Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, when we think of the temple, we think of it a little bit like church. You know, we come here to worship God. But for them, the temple was something different. The temple was, yes, a place of worship, but it was also the place where they went to get clean. 
That's what the animals were there for. In the Jewish system, you sacrificed an animal, its blood was spilt, and in the spilling of the blood, in the making of the offering, your sin was cleansed. So the temple wasn't just a place of worship. It's a place where people went to get clean. And Jesus saw that the place that was meant to help people get clean was dirty. It was dirty. And he cleared it out. And then... Jesus performed many miracles and we get these last couple of verses. While Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in him as they saw the miracles performed. But Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew them all. There was no need for anyone to tell him about them because he himself knew what was in their hearts. So we've had some pretty spectacular things happening. The dramatic cleansing of the temple, the miracles, the signs and wonders, and you could almost hear the crowd, ooh, ah, seeing all the miracles. And people were impressed by that, as they should have been. But Jesus didn't look at the externals. Jesus knew people's hearts. And he didn't give himself or open himself to them just yet because he knew that they were still looking at externals. So it's with that in mind that we now come to our main reading from John chapter 3. Thanks, Andrew. There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. And one night he went to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles that you were doing unless God were with him. Jesus answered, I am telling you the truth, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Does it strike you that's actually not quite a direct and obvious response? How can a man be born again? Nicodemus asked. He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth, replied Jesus, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and we hear it out there today, don't we? You hear the sound that it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I'd like to just read you... A different translation, you can just hear this one rather than necessarily being able to read it. This is from an English translation, it's called the Street Bible. And because I saw that at least a bit earlier there were some hip young people here, I thought maybe they would appreciate this. So I just take this in to give you a slightly different take on this same, same passage and it's entitled Two Birthdays. But not all of the religious leaders were paid up members of the Tut Tut Club One guy, Nicodemus, corners Jesus late one night. Coach, he says, it's obvious from the miracles that God's backing you up, that he sent you to teach us stuff about God's world. Jesus comes straight back. No one in this world gets to see God's world unless he's reconceived, redeveloped, redeveloped, sorry, redelivered, and then reborn. I like that. Reconceived, redeveloped, redelivered, and then reborn. Whoa, hang on. You mean go back into his mother's womb, Nicodemus asks. Jesus comes right back at him. Truth is, you can't enjoy God's world unless you celebrate two birthdays, one physical, the other spiritual. 
Physical people create physical babies. God's Holy Spirit brings spiritual people to life. Close your mouth. Is this reborn info really so shocking? Let's pray. The wind blows where it will. The wind blows where it will. The Spirit brings life. Lord, we want to open our doors and windows and let the wind blow through. Blow out that stale air. Clean out the dust. Refresh the atmosphere. As we approach your word this morning, Lord, we ask that it would be new life to us as we feed upon it and feed upon you. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Make us whatever you want us to be. That's our prayer. Amen. So what I'd like to do is to unpack this passage um, in three or four little chunks and then see if we can draw some conclusions for what it actually means to us today. So perhaps if we could have the first couple of verses. Brilliant, thank you. That's spot on. So who was this guy, Nicodemus? Well, as we heard from the Street Bible, he wasn't a paid-up member of the Tut-Tut Club. Good luck translating that one, Karen. (laughs) But he was, from other accounts in Scripture and for what we know about the Pharisees, he would have been a rich man. He would have been a person of some influence. Um, It actually says in the Greek that he was an archon. It's kind of the same word we get archbishop from. So he he was actually a leader of this party and he was a Pharisee. And you'll recall that the Pharisees were very, very keen to please God in every respect of their lives. And hey, you know, what have we got to argue about with that? But their approach was to try and have a law or a code for every conceivable situation. So the 623-odd laws, depending on how you want to count them, that exist within the Old Testament weren't enough because perhaps there were some situations that weren't specifically covered. So the teachers, the scribes and the Pharisees spent their time thinking through every possible permutation that we might meet in life and coming up with a ruling because, of course, then we didn't have to think about it. If we knew it, we could just do it. So that was their their approach. That was their practice to be really details people who had a rule or a law for every possible situation. And yet, obviously, that wasn't satisfying to Nicodemus. We could have said in a worldly sense, in the community of his day, Nicodemus had everything he could want. He was a leader of one of the most prestigious parties. He was, by all accounts, a rich man. And yet, he came to see Jesus. He came after... No, not yet, thanks, Andrew, sorry. He came in after dark, and I guess we could speculate as to why that was. Um, It's quite likely that he did that simply to be discreet and not to draw attention. Maybe it would have been the rough equivalent of, I don't know, Clive Palmer sneaking in to have a word to... uh, Uh, Scott Morrison, late at night, he didn't want the press to know about it, difficult to know, but he came at night and maybe there were just less distractions because the crowds weren't there. But it would appear as though there was something in him that said, you know, what I've got isn't enough, what I've got is not working, this guy's got something, I, I need to speak with him. So the man who appeared to have it all knew in his heart, knew in his heart that it wasn't enough and came to see Jesus. 
And just like the people that we read about at the end of chapter 2, it would appear that Nicodemus, at least initially, was focusing on the external things. So there's his opening line, no one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. Thank you, Andrew. But Jesus actually then goes direct, direct to the, um, to the interior matters. He's not going to be distracted by this external stuff. He knows what's going on in Nicodemus' heart and he says to him, I'm telling you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. So what does it mean to be born again? It's a phrase that we hear a bit in church. I think it probably broke out into the general community back in the 70s. Jimmy Carter, who was a US president, was famously born again. Uh, People in some communities would even lampoon or mock people for that. But Jesus uses that term, born again. What does it mean? Well, there are a number of different ways of translating this because there are different shades of meaning. You could say born anew. You could say born again. Uh, The original word has three possible interpretations and I think all of these are valid, so it's worth thinking about all three of them. So firstly, to be born anew, to be born again, means to start again from the beginning. It means a complete and utter rebirth. It means something radical. It means going back to the the very beginning and starting again. Secondly, it has the obvious meaning. It means to be born a second time. And in that street Bible, they talked about celebrating two birthdays. Thirdly and literally, uh, the word means from above. So it actually implies a rebirth coming from God. And I think Jesus intended all three of those to be understood by Nicodemus. It's a complete and radical rebirth, it's a second birth, and it actually comes from God. Nicodemus, of course, um, who seems to be a guy who's very literal, takes the literal option. And right away he's thinking about option two, being born from a second time, and he's thinking, well, how can, you know, that sort of doesn't really work, does it? How can that, I mean, you know, ask any of the ladies here, it's bad enough you know, the original getting the baby out. This is, you know, it's clearly not, not happening, Jesus. I do find it interesting that Nicodemus doesn't for one moment question the desirability or the need for being born again. Okay, he clearly understands that it's necessary, but hey, how is this going to happen? He just doesn't get it. I think at this point, because he actually says it a little bit later in the passage that we uh, have, just a little bit further on than what we read, I think at this point Jesus is probably thinking to himself, Nicodemus really should know better. And indeed, Nicodemus should have known better because there was very much in the Jewish religion a tradition of being born again. They may not have used those exact words, but let me read you a quote from one of the old rabbis. This was said of someone who became a Jew... And it was written around about the same time as Nicodemus was in this story. So it would have been contemporary with him. The rabbi said, A convert who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. He has undergone such a radical change that his sins are done away with. That's a pretty accurate understanding, isn't it? A newborn child. Indeed, some commentators went on to speculate, though we have no evidence that this happened, that if a man converted like that, he'd started afresh so new that if he wanted to, he could marry his sister or his mother because he'd started again and he wasn't related to them anymore. Probably just as well he didn't tell Nicodemus that. That might have caused a little bit of panic. 
But that's the kind of radical, starting again, understanding of rebirth that the Jews of that time had. And Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, he should have known. There was also a strong tradition in the pagan community. So we have evidence from what are sometimes referred to as the mystery religions, the things that others did, that they went through ceremonies that talked of rebirth or starting again. And do you know what this tells me? It tells me that within the human spirit, be it whether we're a Jew, whether we're a modern-day Christian, whether we're an ancient pagan, whatever we are, if we are honest, we all know that we need to be born again. We all know that we need renewal. We all know that there are things in our life, possibly even in a sense our life itself, that needs to be cleansed, rubbed out and started afresh. And Nicodemus should have been able to articulate that. Can we go to the next one, please? So in verses 5 to 8, Nicodemus goes on to talk about, well, what is this rebirth about? It is being born of water and being born of the Spirit. So what does that mean? Being born of water, that speaks of washing, of cleansing, of repentance. And of course we know that what happened only a short time before this is that John the Baptist actually called uh, the Jews to this very thing. He he was down at the Jordan baptising and his, his cry was, repent, make yourselves ready because the Lord is coming. Um, Indeed, there was a long tradition in the Jewish religion of baptism. If you flick back through some of the old books of the law, when various things which led to people being dirty or sinful had happened or been done, one of the things that they did was to immerse themselves in water as a symbol of cleansing. Uh, By the time of Jesus, converts to Judaism were also baptised to mark their entry into the Jewish religion. So this idea of being born of water repentance, being cleansed, being refreshed. This would have been a concept that everyone was familiar with. Being born of the Spirit, though, that is somewhat different. Now, it says here that uh, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. In fact, literally, what it means is, what it says, is that no one has the power to enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and born of the Spirit. So the birth, the Spirit birth, that actually speaks of power. It is all about power. It is about the Holy Spirit, the wind, as referred to in here, coming into our lives, blowing out all the old stuff, making us new, and giving us the desire and the power to live right. When we talk about being something in the Bible being new, there are actually two different kinds of word that are used for new. One word actually refers to things which are new in the sense of new in time. So we could, for example, say today it appears that we have a new government, but really it's just a reworking of the old government. Advertisers are always trying to get us to purchase some new item. You know, we might be marketed the, uh, the new electric toothbrush with two clutches and a limited slip diff and you know, bristles that never wear out. The fact is, we've all seen toothbrushes before. It may be a new example of this thing, but it's not really new, is it? It's just a, a reworking of something which is already there. But the other word which is news, used for new actually refers to something which is of a completely new kind. 
It is unprecedented. It has not been heard of before. It is radically and utterly new, and the like of it has never been seen. And that is the word that Jesus uses here, and that is the word that describes what he wants to do in every one of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to make us new, never before seen, new creations, something completely different. As John says earlier in his gospel, speaking of Jesus, what he is looking to make is children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Because this sort of new start, we can't do it ourselves. It is all about the power of God. So God is wanting to bring us a new birth, not just to cleanse us from our sins, but to give us the power to want and to live right. So what is the message for us today in all of this? It's fascinating to read what happened when Nicodemus came for a bit of a nighttime chat with Jesus. And maybe we know a little bit more about the words and we understand it. Well, that's all great. But what does it actually mean? How is it actually going to change our hearts? Because that's what Jesus is interested in, what's going on here in the heart. The message for us today is that everyone needs to be made new. All of us need to undergo those two births, washing, cleansing, being born again of water. Also knowing his transforming power as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and makes us new. And if that's the situation that you're in, if you know that you have repented, if you know that God has made you clean, and unlike the temple where they had to keep going back again and again and again to offer sacrifices, the cleansing that Jesus offers is once and for all and goes on and on and on without end. What a wonderful offer. If that's the place that you're in, and if you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you know his renewal, if he's causing you to long and to love to live right and enabling you to do so, well, hallelujah, that's wonderful. The only question I would ask you then is, if that's true of you, how then should we live if that's us? How do we live as individuals and display that reality? How do we as a group of believers actually live in a way that shows to the world around us that something radically new has happened in our lives? I'm not going to go into this in detail because I have a sneaky feeling Barry will address it next week. But that's my challenge if you're in that good place. How then do we live individually and corporately? But perhaps you're not in that place. And where could you be if you're not in that place? Well, maybe you're aware of your shortcomings. Maybe you know that you are not clean. As the old confessional says, maybe you know that you've said things that you shouldn't have said. And when you should have spoken up, you were silent. Maybe you've done things that you really should not have done, and you know that. And maybe there are things that you ought to have done and you stayed passive. Well, welcome to the human race, if that's you. I showed you that picture of Stuart before, covered in filth. Thank you. But you know, Stuart there is covered in clean dirt. Do you understand the distinction between clean dirt and dirty dirt? Believe it or not, stick him in a shower for a short period of time, probably kicking and screaming, but nonetheless, and he will be clean again. But that's really only an exterior cleanliness, isn't it? 
But every one of us knows what dirty dirt is. It's the, the things that we have said, the things that we have done, the fault lines in our lives that actually no amount of washing or scrubbing or soap or any other cleansing agent that you could buy will clean. Dirty dirt can only be cleaned from the inside out and only be cleaned by repenting and accepting the Holy Spirit into your life. So if you're in that place of not having been cleaned out, if like every one of us, you're aware of your sin and it needs to be dealt with, then Jesus says, repent, change your thinking. Admit, yes, that you are dirty. Acknowledge it and come to me and be made clean. And of course, we've heard stories about that in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Naaman, the Syrian, who had to go and bathe in a dirty, muddy old river, And remember what happened? His skin came out, no more leprosy, and it was like a baby's. Little hint of new birth there again, isn't there? And look at David. David, the man after God's own heart, who broke the majority of the commandments pretty much all in the one go. And yet he repented, and God was able to use him and make him new. Maybe you have repented. Maybe you have turned to God. Maybe you understand the need for cleanliness, and you have asked God to do that for you. But maybe there's no sense of renewal within your life. Maybe you feel as though you don't have the power to live right, to live joyfully. Maybe you've been a little bit focused on, a bit like Nicodemus, getting all the rules right and ticking all the boxes, but in your heart you know that you need more than the law, what you need is life. Well, it's a good start if you've repented and acknowledged your sin and asked God to make you clean. But being cleansed is not enough. In a different context, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus actually warns someone that if there's a big sweep out and all the evil stuff is got rid of and then the house is left empty, look out because something even worse may come in. So not only do we need to be made clean and refreshed, but actually we need the power of the Spirit in our lives. God offers us a heart transplant. And let's go to the Ezekiel passage at the end. God offers us a heart transplant. He's speaking to the exiles, those who their descendants and some of them themselves had sinned and God had said, okay, if you do that, you can't stay in my land, you'll have to go. To these people who felt hopeless, who were aware of their sin, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Now I'm just a GP, I don't get to do a lot of heart surgery, but I'll tell you what I have seen. As a student I spent time in the uh, pathology lab, I've seen what a diseased heart looks like. I've seen the sad, tired looking, calcified hearts, scarred, that just couldn't cut it anymore. I've also seen my patients having scans of their hearts and watched them just barely struggling to keep up. 
Some of you people, even within this congregation, know what it is to need a little bit of an extra heart starter. There's at least one or two people sitting in here who've had a pacemaker put in. There's the analogy that we've got, that we actually need a new heart, a fresh infusion of energy, a restart. God offers us a heart transplant, which as Barry pointed out last week, we can't do ourselves. There's a very real sense in which God is not offering us a new start in life, as good as that might seem, he is offering us a new life to start with. I'll say that again, he's not offering us a new start in life. By this heart transplant, he is offering us a new life to start with. So if you want to know not just a complete and thorough cleansing, but also be supercharged, you know, like, a little bit like the Energizer Bunny in those old ads, with the desire to live right, and not just the desire, but also the power to do so joyfully, then that is exactly what Jesus is talking about and offering today. So God says to us this morning through this passage, if you're dirty, come to me and be clean. Do you lack power? Is your heart old and tired? Come to me and I will give you a new heart, no longer a heart of stone, but a tender, responsive heart of flesh that joys to live right and to please God. That is the offer that Jesus sets before each one of us this morning. How will we respond? Thanks, Karen.